we're going to go through the autopsy in the episode today. If this comes back the way we think it's going to come back, how do we handle this? Saying that, you know, he died of alcohol is it, when with all the stigma and the weight that that carries is not a fun thing. And part of the reason why I wanted it to be something else is it's like I knew that that was going to be a question that I'm going to get for the rest of my life is, oh, how did he die? But I think there's a lot of people, too, that can relate to your dad, you know, to Eric and the things that he struggled with and how that unfolded for him. There's a lot of those types of questions, you know, that we still that will never know the answer to really. It really just irritated me because it was not correct. And then as a result of it not being correct, it then impacted our ability to get the things that we were rightly owed. Hey, how's it going? Eh, you know, it's going. We're back. We're back. (laughs) So I know we've had a couple less episodes than normal over the last um, month, but that's because Isaac's moved and it's been really busy. So um, we've been trying to adjust and find recording time and time to edit um, around all of that craziness. So, mm-hmm. so you're moved. I did Tell move. us a little bit. Um, I moved two doors down from my current apartment or from my old apartment into this one. Um, just a little bit bigger of one. Um, cause one of my best friends moved to town and wanted to room with me and I was open to it cause he, he's a good roommate, saves me money. Seemed like a good move. My lease was ending anyway. So, it all kind of just worked out that way. And then they had a two bedroom, nice apartment, like right next door to the one I was already living at. So <laughs> it was a pretty quick and easy transition. Um, but it was just a lot of chaos for a couple weeks of getting ready for that and, you know, trying to plan everything and then also just work, work and general daily life and all the other things that accompany that so um adult but it's been good so yeah 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 it's <laughs> hard to find time for uh extracurricular activities <laughs> these days but welcome welcome to the mm-hmm. club i feel like i've been um, part of the club for a while <laughs> yeah except you have a you're in a new spot now with uh the roommate because you've lived alone up until this point uh on your own yeah, since I'm, you moved out right yeah, I mean, you know, I've lived alone for three years, just about. So um, it's definitely a little bit of an adjustment to have somebody around again. Um, but so far, so good. He's a good roommate. I think um, I think we'll be just fine. So. Well, good. Um, so what are we talking about today? I know we left the last episode. It was really emotional. Um, we talked a lot about the things that we were dealing with right before your dad died. Regret um, and his relapse and mm-hmm. all of those things. And, you know, it. I think the, the hardest part to grapple with a lot of that was that there was no resolution really because we didn't get a chance to address it before he died very much. I mean, it was like less than three weeks um, after those events that, that he, I mean, he was still working during that time. Like, you know, he couldn't really take yeah. time off. 
So then it was. Well, yeah, I mean, he took less... time off, but yeah, he was back at that spot of going back to work or he was at work at that point. That's what I'm saying. He took he took time oh. off initially, but he was back at work and he couldn't take more time off to, you know, deal with what just happened. And so he was still working and we were still doing our thing and we hadn't really had a lot of time to address, you know, kind of the the elephant in the room at that time. And um, and then he was gone. And yeah. I think there was a lot of given the context now that everybody has as to what was going on before he died. Um, you know, obviously we started off the series with, with, uh, you know, the day of and, and dealing with things as they happened. And then we kind of backtrack to give context given that context, you know, obviously we, we had a lot of suspicion and gut feeling about how he died or why he died. Um, which was, we both pretty much knew that it was was a result of the alcohol, but um, but we didn't really want to talk about it yet because nobody really knew that he was dealing with those issues. And then to he died, and then for us to bring up that fact to everybody, you know, everybody's asking you what happened, how did he die, and to bring up, well, you know, he was dealing with anxiety and depression and an alcohol issue for the last six months to a year before he died and then you know we were trying to figure all that out and now he's gone it just leads to a lot of stigma and speculation and um you know if that wasn't the reason why he died we didn't want to bring all that attention to to what was happening yeah and i think i mean i know for me i don't i can't speak for you but i know that i really was still just trying to process like what was going on because not only, I mean, did he have his relapse a few weeks before he died, but also he, we literally had just figured out or found out what was going on three months, almost to the day of him dying prior. So like, that's not a lot of time to try to process like this huge life event. So, you know, there was, that was kind of like a traumatic thing in itself and then all of a sudden he's gone and we're trying to reconcile all that. And like you said, there is a lot of stigma that goes with um, any death, you know, that involves mental health or um, substances. And I think you and I both were very, at the time, pretty confident, especially because the preliminary autopsy came back with nothing that really pointed to any sort of like natural or natural cause of death or like, or well, like he, he had that he had. Right. Like he had, you know, in the autopsy, they call it blunt trauma to the head and like yeah. he had broken ribs, but none of that would have been the cause of death. So, you know, it was, well, they it was weird that, that he had those. Th- right. It was weird yeah. that, he, that he had those, um, you know, those injuries for some reason, but, they ruled it out as like a cause of death because he didn't have like a brain bleed. He didn't have like Mm-mm. bleeding into his chest from his broken ribs or anything like that. Like there's no, there was no cause for concern about those injuries for like a, yeah. um, you know, a, a lethal injury. Yeah. And when they go, I see it. That's the thing too, is what people don't, uh, maybe don't understand, or maybe you do is when they do an autopsy, it happens pretty quickly. Like it happened the day after he died. 
Now, I think it depends mm-hmm. on where you live. If you live in a city where there's a lot more people, it maybe takes a little longer. But where he died was a smaller area. Um, in well, the and state. it's important and that it happens right away so that decom- decom- uh, decomposition and like that sort of thing doesn't get in the way of the results of the autopsy. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying that there are some medical examiner offices in big cities where it might have take may, might take a few more days, but his autopsy literally happened the day after he died. And so pretty much, you know, later that day in the afternoon or maybe the following day in the morning, we knew what the preliminary autopsy results were, which we have talked about in terms of the fact, I, I think it was like in the second episode or it was all dependent uh, on the toxicology report, pretty much. Yeah. And so we were basically waiting on that. And I think because we were dealing with this stuff that had happened right before he died, you and I were pretty confident that, and again, I mean, again, there was alcohol in his room, although we were also very um, purposeful and not really, I mean, a few of the people who are super close to us knew what was going on, but um we kept that part also very close to the vest because you know it, part of it was like trying to deal with it um and just process everything that was happening part of it was also yeah i mean the likelihood of alcohol being involved in his death is pretty high um but you know there could also be something else and i think you and i just were not ready to deal with all of the speculation that would have come with and even the questions, because we were already getting so many questions as it was, and that was hard enough to deal with. And we had our own questions. <laughs> so you put all that stuff together. Well, every, just, everybody's everybody's asking us questions, expecting answers from us. And it's like, we don't know anymore. I mean, we, we do know a little bit more, but like, we didn't have the answer right. either at that point. Yeah. And I think there was also just a lot of you know, emotional grappling with. Uh, I remember a lot of nights of you and I having those conversations, you know, in those couple months right after he died about like, like, I remember being very confident that it was the alcohol and you kept trying to, you know, you know remind me that we don't really know yet. And to like, mm-hmm. you know, try to give me some and, and not not that there's a lot of hope in that situation anyway, because he's still you know, gone either way. Yeah. But I just, I just desperately wanted it to be something else, something that was easier to explain. Um, But in my gut, I just knew, like I knew that it was the alcohol and, um, and part of the reason why I wanted it to be something else is it's like, I knew that that was going to be a question that I'm going to get for the rest of my life is, Oh, how did he die? Anytime, anytime I bring up the, you know, that he is gone or that he died when I was a teenager or whatever, like I knew that that was going to be the first question out of everybody's mouth is how did he die? And saying that, you know, he died of alcohol is when with all the stigma and the weight that that carries is not a fun thing. And I don't like the idea of that being the only thing people remember about him. Um, I think we both were very conscious of that and we struggled really hard with that is that if this was the case, like, how do we deal with that? Because it's not that we didn't necessarily want people to know what was going on with Eric, but also we, this was a person that was really important to us. We loved him and he was more than what he died from. 
if that was right. the case, you know. Right. Well, so, and, and like there's a certain level of immediate understanding that comes when, you know, when you ask how somebody died and you say like, oh, they were in a car accident or, mm-hmm. oh, they, um, you know, had a heart attack or they had a stroke or they, you know, had some sort of illness or, you know, there's a, a, a so many different things that people have like an immediate empathetic understanding to um, in terms of an accidental death like this was. And, mm-hmm. you know, even if he had his injuries where he had broken ribs and a head, you know, a head injury, like it, even if he had gotten hit by a car and then like or something where it wasn't. Where people, even though they might not. Have experience with that would still understand like that it was an accident, mm-hmm. but you mentioned alcohol and people automatically again with that stigma, it's like. There's the idea that he did it to himself, you know? Yeah. And that it was, even if it wasn't on purpose, it was still his own fault on -hmm. some level. And again, and then, of course, all the stigma around just alcohol and drugs and and those issues that people face and addiction, like. That's not the memory that I wanted people to have about him, you know, and it was kind of the last bit of hope that I had even though he was gone is that like maybe I wouldn't have to constantly explain what happened over the last year of my life before this because maybe it wasn't related yeah I think that um we both were hoping that was the case um that it wasn't related um we're gonna go through the autopsy in the episode today um, to talk about kind of, uh, when we got those results back and like the final op- autopsy and the death certificate and how that affected us. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I, I think that in general, um, we wanted to protect him as much as we could, even though he had died. Um, we cared and, 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 we knew, I mean, obviously we're telling this story now. There's a reason behind it because I think that there's a lot of people who could probably relate to either you and I in terms of our experience um, with Eric and the struggles that he had. Um, you and I in the you know, aftermath of losing someone that we cared about. But I think there's a lot of people too that can relate to your dad, you know, to Eric and the things that he struggled with. and how that unfolded for him because I think it's a very common and we've talked about before alcohol is very socially acceptable it's very um easy access and I think a lot more More people uh, yeah more people struggle with it (laughs) around the same yeah and there's different there's different ways that people struggle with it but yeah and and I do think that people don't believe um and again, you don't really hear much of it except for, you know, maybe like college binge drinking, et cetera. But you don't generally hear people just dying from like an accidental alcohol poisoning or overdose um, or it's well, just alcohol and nothing else mixed in, you know? Yeah. So and like the, I would say the most the most well-known case of that happening that people 
you know probably know of or have known of is amy winehouse and right. you can look her up but um obviously she's a very talented singer and she died suddenly in a hotel i, I think it was like a hotel room and it was basically almost exactly t for t what happened to my dad in that you know she was just found stop breathing in her sleep after and i might be getting some of the details wrong because it's been a while since i've read up on that story but you know she essentially just went on a bender you know binge drank and then didn't wake up from it because she stopped breathing yeah you know and uh so on that kind of case i have the the autopsy and the you know the cause the cause of death um that they put on the initial autopsy yeah and i think the before you start getting into that what i want to caveat which we'll probably talk about in the next episode is that mind you it had been three and a half almost close to four months before we'd gotten this final autopsy cause of death and all of our finances were tied up with that we couldn't do any i couldn't do anything with our finances until we had the death certificate and um his we had regular life insurance policy um but most of our policies were accidental death and disability policies that were provided through his work which i'm thankful for but also i mean because the likelihood of him potentially dying from an accident at his work when he traveled so much was higher so as a young person not really thinking you know that this is the type of thing that i might be dealing with um i didn't realize how important this ruling on the death certificate was going to be and in in terms of our finances and so like in the next episode we'll talk a little bit more about how that impacted it um but i think you know today we're just going to talk through when we finally got those back um it was like three and a half months you and i had been again still speculating on everything i remember going through I mean, I went through all his stuff. I downloaded his computer and his phone and all the things before. Because his was like a work phone and a work computer. So, like, I, they were all going to get taken back and erased. So, like, I downloaded all his stuff. I pictures. I went through, you know, all the his, not all of them. There were some belongings that I, I mean, I briefly went through them. But his suitcase um, from the hotel sat in my closet for, like, two and a half years. Um, but like, I think I, we had found, you know, we had found things or I had found things that gave me an indication as well. Um, where it pointed to that, like alcohol was probably involved. Well, and during that whole time while we were waiting, you know, I think it's important to emphasize to, you know, obviously we're talking about this five years later and, um, you know, the, emotions might be a little more disconnected mm-hmm. because we've had a lot of time to process and, and, you know, go through and deal with those emotions, you know, over the last however many years. But, um, but there was in that time, I just remember that was the only thing on my mind was, mm-hmm. you know, that he was gone and we had no answers and like you mull through it over and over again. And just the emotional grappling of like, well, if it is that, like, how am I going to deal with that? How am I going to, Mm -hmm. you know, cope with this? How am I going to continue with daily life? How am I going to explain this to anybody? You know, there's, yeah, there's weeks and weeks and months and months of 
of feeling just terrible about mm-hmm. the tur- the drastic turn that your life has just taken, you know, mm-hmm. and then, you know, obviously we we're dealing with each other and trying to, to support each other, but, you know, I, and I've talked on this at this point too, but like I started having panic attacks and like I was super anxious and I, I stopped, I didn't have the energy to reach out to friends anymore. You know, I didn't like, I was, I was one of the people who would get everybody together. And like, I was somebody who was always inviting friends out to go do stuff. And it took me years to get back to that point. Um, and so just even in that short time frame where we didn't have any answers, the amount of, there's no room in your brain for anything else. Like, I don't know how no. I graduated high school. I don't know how I got through <laughs> EMT school or any of that stuff. You were going through nursing school. I have no idea how I managed no. to focus on any of that stuff because the only thing on my mind was everything we were dealing with, you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, you get into a mode where you just kind of shut all that out and then you have to do what has to get done. And like, it's kind of a survival mechanism, I guess, where you just kind of go into a, a certain mode, but it's still, even though in those cases, you know, it doesn't always look like it on the outside for people. When you're dealing with something this traumatic, where, you know, a death, somebody you're this close to, whatever, for that person, it's on it's on their mind 24-7. It never leaves them. Yeah. And that can yeah. can continue for years and years and years, you know. It's a scar that will always be there. Yeah. I mean, there's not a day that doesn't go by that I don't think about your dad in some capacity. Mm-hmm. He's always literally lingering in the back of my head, even though I am remarried and, you know, we have moved forward in a lot of ways. I mean, you have to, you really have no choice. Um, no, life, life moves on. Unfor- I mean, fortunately and unfortunately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I just remember you know, we both were pretty confident that it probably had something to do with it. We were like also like obsessing during that time of like, okay, if this comes back the way we think it's going to come back, how do we handle this? How do we tell his family? How do we tell people? How do we tell people? And um, because I think some of the things that also led us to believe that alcohol was involved, not only obviously was there alcohol found in his room, um, the day that he, or the, the, you know, when he died, but, you know, I had found evidence, you know, in his cell phone that he, he was supposed to stay. The reason he told me that he was staying there an extra night was to address a work issue with the client that he was down there to see. And again, not an abnormal thing for him to do. I mean, it happened all the time because he was in a business where things were fluid and they changed a lot. Um, but you know, me being kind of that master detective that I am and, and, and really just needing a lot of answers. Um, I found out, you know, I was looking through his phone and his computer and all this stuff and realizing that he had gotten his last phone call at like 11 o'clock in the morning. He, or I think that was the last time he responded to any sort of phone call, text message, um, through your through your sleuthing, you essentially figured out that he, yeah, didn't do any business the day that he stayed. 
You know? No, I'm pretty sure his plan was to binge drink. Right. Yeah. Right. So then, you know, that that's that struggle was for about three months. And then we finally got, you know, all of our answers that we had been looking for. So I have the autopsy and then I also have the police report. Um, and I think, well, I'll just go through kind of the general synopsis. Um, this is from the police report, but it's pulled from the autopsy as to, um, well, actually, let's see here. No, I'll, I'll pull kind of information from both. Um, and then I might just read the uh, uh, police report because I think it might be interesting for some people um, to yeah. kind of see how this stuff is done. Um, you know, and so first of all, um, as a result of the toxicology and like the, the final anatomic diagnoses. Um, so number one, they marked it as acute and chronic alcohol abuse. So yet, yeah, um, which was... Not particularly accurate, um, but we'll get into that a little later. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, based on the toxicology, his blood alcohol level was a 0.45, which is um, about... Very, very high. Very high. It's, uh, if you look it up, it is it is the level at which people can die. And yeah, people, people who die. People who don't have an alcohol tolerance die um, at alcohol levels much less than that. Um, yes. And granted in the, like in the emergency room, um, I know you and I have both seen, you know, people who do drink chronically daily, um, mm-hmm. you know, people will be up and walking and talking at that level of alcohol because their mm-hmm. body's used to processing that level. And even higher. I mean, I've seen people, I've seen people come in at like 0.6, which is, Mm-hmm. mind blowing to me yeah um and i'm i'm not gonna lie you know there i have a lot of empathy in those situations but i i do sometimes get triggered when those those patients come in mm-hmm. i do say i do i will say you know on that just kind of brief like topic of having alcohol patients who come through to detox or whatever in the er there are patients where i tend there are patients where I have less empathy for, and this is kind of something where I have to check my own bias and, you know, whatever, where they, I can, where they tend to abuse the system a bit. They, they're not seeking Mm -hmm. help. You know, they don't recognize that they have a problem. Um, and they just kind of abuse the cares and services that the ER has. Um, and then, but there are patients who, you know, are seeking help and do recognize that something's wrong. And, I've had many times in my career thus far that I've had come, you know, having that personal experience with my dad where I've been able to talk with patients one on one and I hope at least have an impact, you know, sharing, not necessarily sharing my personal life or my personal experiences, but sharing just coming from an understanding and empathetic point of view and kind of sharing with them resources and things that I know to work. Um, yeah. And some of those patients I do definitely have more empathy for because they do remind me of my dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's, like I said, there's the, there are patients where it kind of triggers me in that they, 
you know, they don't want help and they don't want to change and they are, you know, comfortable abusing the system and also, you know, ruining their own lives in a way. And they're still, they're still alive. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that Um, too. And, and, you know, and that's a, and then, you know, that, that brings on some, some guilty feelings, right. Of like, I shouldn't be feeling that way about somebody else. Um, but anyways, getting back to, it's it's why it's called a trigger. (laughs) It's not, you don't have control over it, but like recognizing that. Yeah. I mean, those are feelings that you can have, you know? Mm hmm. Yeah. yeah, and, and, very and much so. I, th- I think that's the other thing is it's like me saying that I have that that I've had those feelings before with patients and stuff. It's something that I recognize and it's something that I have yeah. to check at the door and like I have to, um, you know, be very conscious of because especially as like a healthcare professional, you can't have those biases, you know, no. and it's it's not an uncommon thing like we're. I've seen so many times where doctors get burnt out on these patients because time after time after time, you see a certain type of patient and then you box them all together, which, you know, even, even like you said, the first time you brought dad to the ER and they kind of box him into that one way. And then it wasn't until the second, second ER visit that, that we had some more empathetic listeners and, you know, people who were more able and willing to, to help in a way that mattered. Um, but anyway, so 0.45 blood alcohol level, um, mild hepatic, uh, stetosis, which is just, uh, an increased portal fibrosis and, uh, lymphocytic inflammation. So basically he had, um, liver inflammation and scar tissue there from drinking, but it was very mild. Yeah. Um, and, and, when you hear- and- oh. I was just going to say when, uh, if you look at it, uh, to, you know, more closely, this was the other reason why I knew that he had been mostly sober between when he talked to us about what was going on and his death is because when he initially went into the ER and we took him to detox, his liver enzymes were off the charts and, um, you know, he had obviously some consequences of that consistent drinking for a while um not anything you know life-threatening or anything like that but um but when he uh died and the autopsy result yeah he had some mild um you know scarring scar tissue and some stuff with his liver but that isn't necessarily i mean there's so many things that can cause that so it's not necessarily related to alcohol alcohol is one of those things that can cause that and with chronic long-term drinkers, people can have uh, very much a scar. It's called liver cirrhosis. Um, that really is how you die from chronic long-term alcohol abuse. Um, it's one of the ways. Um, so, but there are many other reasons that people have that. They can have fatty liver disease. That's not alcohol related. Like there's all sorts of stuff, but it was very mild and his enzymes and his blood level and his blood work was all, were all in within normal levels. And so that was one of the things where, again, being in the medical field, as I was at the time, I realized, you know, I was able to interpret that and be like, okay, so I know that he was, he was, even though he had that relapse and he was, you know, that he was serious and he was working on his sobriety because if he wasn't, 
that would have been very obvious in his blood work. And then um, I think also the fact that he didn't have uh, serious damage to his liver uh, is or other organs, which we'll get into, but like serious damage to his liver, especially was one of the indicators. And one of the things that was really important in later on um, when we're dealing with life insurance and fighting that, um, that indicates that he didn't have a chronic long-term issue um, that he had been dealing with. So those are two Mm -hmm. things that kind of came up for me when I saw that. Yeah. So he had, like I said, a little bit of, of liver inflammation, scar tissue, that sort of thing. Um, urinary distension of a liter and you know a little over a liter of of urine in his bladder which again if he drank a bunch um alcohol is a diuretic so it's it's gonna make you pee more um and so he he obviously had a lot of a lot of uh it was obvious that he had recently drank both between his alcohol level and the amount of urine in his bladder so then his heart showed um in one in his left anterior descending coronary artery was grade three or four atherosclerosis, which is just um, you know, uh calcia or like a, a buildup of um fatty tissue and essentially a blood. It's a what bit eventually causes it Yeah, it's it's what eventually causes a heart attack. Um so and that's something yeah. we didn't know that he was dealing with. But we knew right after the physical autopsy that that was not what caused his death. So, um, yeah. so it's, yeah, it's like a narrow, I mean, it's a narrowing found. of the mm-hmm. narrowing of the coronary arteries from from um, the plaque that builds up on it. Plaque, yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's the right word, plaque. <laughs> um, and he also had grade one atherosclerosis in a bunch of his other coronary arteries. So slowly but surely, you know, if he would have lived another couple decades or something he probably would have ended up with um some heart disease um but right now it shouldn't have it wouldn't have caused anything he had a couple he had um a couple gallstones very small gallstones um which you know a lot of people can have those without even knowing for a long time and then the interesting you know part of the trauma part of it the interesting things so a blunt trauma of the head. So he had a partial thickness laceration of the lem- left temporal scalp, which was one centimeter with a focal underlying hemorrhage of the left temporalis muscle. So just basically a little cut on the um, left temporal scalp right here with a little bit of a bruise essentially there. Mid, uh, so he had a midline occipital abrasion of five centimeters with a focal subgaleal hemorrhage underneath. So um, just a, again, an abrasion with bruising on, on the back of his head and no skull fracture, no um, epidural or subdural hemorrhage just means no bleeding of his brain. Um, and then other trauma, he had blunt trauma of the torso with left rib fractures, five, six, and seven on the front anterior. Um, again, with focal soft tissue hemorrhage, so bruising around that area. And then he had blunt trauma of ext- of the extremity, um, his left shin with the focal abrasion. So a lot of weird kind of random like abrasions, cuts, bruising, obviously broken ribs, you know. So he obviously had hit his head. He obviously had broken his ribs somehow. He had hit his shin somehow, you know. And all of these are still... I mean, to this day, we really don't know 
how he got those exactly what happened yeah and and we do again we knew all of that stuff the physical findings mm-hmm. um within a couple but of we were waiting on the died, toxicology so. now and, the final and then report. he was on a couple yeah he was on a couple medications fluxetine or prozac for his anxiety which was from the the psychiatrist and then uh lisinopril for high blood pressure and omeprazole for um you know gerd essentially um acid reflux yeah Yep. And so his fluxetine level was within normal limits for therapeutic range. Um, it was 450 nanograms per milliliter, um, which again, is just sounds like he probably just took his medication. Um, and so like we knew from and- that that he didn't overdose on his you know, antidepressant medication. Well, and I think the thing that's interesting, which we'll talk about afterwards is the police reports said something about an empty pill bottle. So that was something that briefly ran through the hat. Our hat that was like, did he mix alcohol and some sort of medication? Um, in an, in a, uh, I don't know if that pill bottle was, um, actually empty. There was like conflicting reports, but, um, but I do know. Naltrexone. Which is the it reports was possibly for alcohol abuse. Do you know remember what that yeah. was? In? Yeah, it's called antabuse, um, I believe is the like brand. It reduces name for, like but cravings for alcohol, right? It actually makes you really sick when you drink alcohol. So you have to take it in order for it to work. And I don't think was it in the autopsy report? I don't think he took it. I don't think he was taking no, it. He didn't have any in yeah. his blood, but he was yeah. His, that was listed under his home medications. So yeah, um, he had. I mean, he, he had the prescription for it. It's one of the things um, when you look at his therapy notes and his psychiatrist uh, notes um, that he was after he had relapsed. The psychiatrist had recommended it to him, and he was. I believe he picked up the prescription at my encouragement, but again, doesn't work if you don't take it. So all right. Um, so this is kind of the, the clinical summary of the autopsy. So knowing those anatomical diagnoses, um, it says, uh, let's see if I can say this word properly. Uh, this, the, the, the decedent is a 38 year old male with limited medical history his home medications include naltrexone, possibly for alcohol abuse, flexitine, lisinopril, and omeprazole. He is known to have a remote history of illicit drug use in 1997 and a long-standing history of chronic alcohol abuse. He is married with one son and lives with his wife. The decedent has been traveling for business. On March 6, 2018, he checked into his hotel room. He was last spoken to by his wife on the morning of March 7th. 2018, after which she was unable to reach him by phone. She requested a welfare check uh, by hotel security who found him deceased in his secure hotel room with an open alcohol at the scene. He was last known alive per electronic key card at, at 1947 on March 7th, 2018. Um, and then the ultimate cause of death was ruled as acute and chronic alcohol abuse. Um, and natural, and it was a nat, and it was r- ruled as a natural uh, cause of death. Now, 
when you got the autopsy report, obviously this line in particular was what was um, really upsetting for you. And I didn't I haven't read the autopsy report until uh, very recently, because um, first of all, I was not a medical person. Second of all, I was young and I didn't really care <laughs> to read it. But uh, reading through it now, you know, again, as a medical person, like this is not parts of this uh, was not necessarily accurate as to what was going on. And I'll let you talk about that. But this line here, he is known to have a remote history of illicit drug use in 1997 and a long-standing history of chronic alcohol abuse. So, you know, you said before we started the episode that that line particularly really angered you. Yeah, because uh, here's the thing is, you know, after someone dies, um, who is really close to you, whoever is the closest person next of kin, the medical examiner's office and not typically the medical examiner, but it's usually like the medical examiner assistant or something, but they work together. Like they're involved in the autopsy, but they call you and they want to know everything there is to know about this person that just passed away. Like what's going on with them. And I was very open and honest about the stuff that we had been dealing with in the last three months. I was also very clear about the fact that this was um, an issue that had just started in within the last year. Um, and that, you know, he had been sober prior to his death uh, with, uh, you know, obviously being open about the fact that he'd had a relapse they ask you lots of questions and I don't even remember all the questions, but one of the things they asked me about was, did he have a history of like mental health stuff? And I said, and again, really honest, not really expecting that. Even though I was new to the medical field at that particular time, uh, you know, we're taught in the medical field to really look at things objectively and, not to, you know, to use the the facts, right, of the situation. Um, even when we document and we chart, things are very objective. We're, we're trained not to put our own personal opinions in it. Um, and so, you know, I didn't really think anything of sharing some of the things that your dad's you know, had dealt with over the years. So like, they want to know, did he have any issues with mental health? Well, obviously, very open about the fact that the last year and a half, the stuff that we had just talked about in the last few episodes, all the things that have been going on, not obviously in that depth, but the fact they um, had just kind of slowly, uh, you know, the anxiety and the sleep stuff had slowly gotten um, worse over the last year and a half, and that he started to be really depressed, but we didn't really notice. And then the alcohol thing that has started. They asked me specifically about the alcohol and, you know, asked if it had been like an ongoing issue of which I did not indicate that it was. I said that, you know, he, um, has always had a, I, I believe I said he always had a high tolerance for alcohol, um, which his family did as well, but like, it wasn't, um, it wasn't, he didn't have like problematic drinking. Um, and then they asked if he'd ever had issues with, um, 
or had ever done like illegal drugs or like illicit drugs. Well, again, being very open and transparent because I don't really see any reason not to, I'm expecting that, you know, the medical examiner is going to make his determination off of the facts of the autopsy. He, um, I, you know, when we were teenagers, so I've, I think, what did it say? 1997 there, that would have been the time we started dating. And, um, yeah, he was a normal teenager who experimented with drugs. Like it happened, you know, he partied, um, was he addicted to any of them? No. Did he use them regularly? No. But like, and, and I clarified that, like he was a normal teenager that, um, was, um, you know, doing normal teenager things at that time. Um, and he was a little rebellious and a little, um, you know, I don't know. Rebellious, I guess is probably the best word to put it. Um, and then I believe I did actually share with them as well that, um, the only incidents that I knew of him having struggled with any sort of depression that he like actually recognized for himself, um, or indicated in any fashion was that, uh, he did tell me at one point that he had tried to, um, I guess like unalive himself, um, with drinking a huge bottle of alcohol and some like ibuprofen or Tylenol or something like that. Um, when he was like, I don't know, 18, 17, 18, something like that. One time, um, didn't work. Um, and again, then we started dating and I think I mentioned before that like your dad used to talk about a lot how he felt like us getting together um had changed his life in a lot of ways and that he felt like I had saved his life um in not so many words. So I was open about the stuff that he dealt with as I think any normal teenager does that sometimes, you know. But but a lot but again a lot of that stuff was 20 years over 20 it was tw- years yeah. prior and and it, and i never given yeah and i and i didn't give him i didn't give them any <laughs> any indication at all that it was an ongoing issue it was just yeah this is something happened 20 years ago when we were teenagers um and then you know obviously relate the current stuff that had led up to his death in the few months prior. Um, so I was really angry, um, to see that sentence in there, um, because that sentence to me already has shown me that, especially me understanding what this autopsy was saying, um, which was he died because his blood alcohol level was 0.45. Like he essentially just stopped breathing and he had an overdose or like, I don't know if it's an overdose or, an accidental um alcohol poisoning alcohol i have yeah yeah i i have theories that you know i did finally like i said um in one of the very early episodes that i had finally gotten the pictures from the scene um and i have some theories around you know i i don't know if he would have died if he had not i think he passed out on the floor um i don't think yeah. he would have died if he had fallen and asleep he was, in his bed he was face down and like yeah already had a, already 
So, well, for, first of all, um, you know, so known to have a, a remote history of illicit drug use, which isn't inaccurate. Like if he in 1997, yeah, you know, remote, remote history of, of using it once or twice, like, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't know exactly what they consider to be illicit. Is that marijuana back in 1997? Like, you know, there's. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean, probably. And uh, I think your dad had tried a couple other. I mean, he was he was just like a normal teenager. He tried whatever. Like he went to parties yeah. and. Yeah, he did but then his thing. So the the thing that's the most frustrating about this is a long-standing history of chronic alcohol abuse. Mm-hmm. Okay, what do you consider a long-standing history? Because, um, you know, realistically, it was like eight months of of mm-hmm. alcohol abuse. So mm-hmm. and it and and actually, it probably was even less than that. It was probably more like six months because he stopped. He was sober for for the last Mm -hmm. three months of his life essentially besides the one relapse so it's like from the summer of 2017 till december of 2017 he had a problem and was Mm -hmm. abusing alcohol before that Mm -hmm. he wasn't he would drink like any other normal person would drink but it wasn't alcohol abuse at that point it wouldn't have been considered alcohol abuse by any medical professional um so saying a long-standing history is not particularly accurate but that did bias the cause of death and uh, the death on the death certificate. They said acute and chronic alcohol abuse. Well, acute alcohol abuse is not a natural cause of death, but Mm -hmm. they do consider chronic alcohol abuse as in like you die from liver failure because you're drinking so much or that sort of thing. Or because you've been chronically abusing alcohol. So you have issues with your so you have organ failure or things like that. Yeah, right. That might be considered natural cause of death. um, But he didn't have any indication of a natural cause of death. He died because he Mm -hmm. had a 0.45 blood alcohol level and, you know, passed out and uh, and had broken ribs. And so like kind of based on the pictures and when we had this discussion earlier, you kind of thought that um, likely what happened is, and, and and I don't remember, I don't see it on the autopsy report, but um, I remember around that time that the theory from the medical examiner for his injuries was it was still wintertime, you know, March. And it was consistent with somebody who maybe slipped on the ice and like fell and on his fell side. fell against... Yeah, yeah, they they thought on like the like curb or the something. Curb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so which tracks you know, if he was intoxicated, right? You know? And well, and also, or even if he wasn't intoxicated yet, like it's possible he slipped and fell uh, on some ice and broke his ribs, and then went to go drink some more to you know numb the pain or whatever, right? Yeah. And um, we have no idea. <laughs> we again, yeah, it's it's all speculation. But the the facts of the matter is he had broken ribs, right? Broken ribs, one of the biggest um, concerns in the like in the medical field or in the hospital or whatever, when somebody comes in with broken ribs, is that they're not breathing well enough. Um, yeah. So we we, we give so painful. It's really painful to breathe because it's like your intercostal muscles and all that. So it's super painful. And he so had we, three broken in a row. So like. Yeah. And uh, so. In the hospital, we give somebody something, a tool called an incentive spirometer, which is like measures how much air you're intaking 
and the goal and we give people with broken ribs like a certain goal to reach with their breathing um, a few times a day to make sure that they're actually filling up their lungs properly. Well, if he had yeah. broken his ribs that day, right, he's already going to be breathing shallow because it hurts to breathe. And, and he's not he- going to go in because we already have talked about how incredibly stubborn your dad was. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't going to go to the doctor. I don't know what his plan were, was for like when he got home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Obviously, he, he wouldn't have been able to hide him. I mean, his right. his chest was extremely bruised. Um, but then, and, you know, yeah. so he had broken ribs. And then in his room, he was found face down on the floor. And you said based on the pictures, his head was like kind of underneath the nightstand almost. Yeah. So in the hotel, um, you know, those kind of nightstands that have like the drawer on the top. And then um, they have like a bottom and it's like almost like a cubby. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's open, but but it's like a box. Um, so uh, he was face down with almost his full head inside of this box uh, right. portion of the nightstand. Right. And, and so, so, yeah, I mean, he didn't have a lot of air circulation either. Right. You know, and so... And that could have been where he got one of his head injuries, too. You know, if he fell and hit his head on the nightstand or something, maybe, you know, again, we don't know where the trauma injuries came from. I mean, um, I have I, I don't think that's true based on you haven't seen the photos yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to get them to you. But like, I I'm confident that he just passed out, honestly, on his way back yeah. to bed. Um, so when you look at the pictures, um. I think, you know, because, again, he was fully clothed and, you know, he had been in his bed. Um, I think that he was sitting in his bed and um, was probably getting ready to fall asleep. And um, in front of, you know, there's like the TV and there's the little table um, on the on the side, which would have been consistent with him walking back to the bed. He had an open, you know how your dad always carried a gallon of water with him everywhere. Um, He had an open bottle, like gallon of water on there that had just like a couple swigs worth of water missing from it. And his pill bottle, which was the Prozac. And um, that was open. The cover was off. And I think based on what I know of your dad's habits is that he was getting ready to fall asleep. And he realized that he needed to go take that medication. And I think he got up and went and grabbed that and took the medication, take a, took a couple swigs of water, turned around. And based on the pictures, again, which you'll, when you see them, it'll make sense because you know them as well as I do. Um, I think he literally just passed out like on his way back to bed um, and fell next to his next to the bed. Gotcha. Yeah, and so. so his head his head basically being in that little cubby, he's got a 0.45 alcohol level. His ribs are broken, so he's already breathing shallow. And like if you're bre- so if you're breathing real shallow as a combination of your ribs are broken so you can't take a deep breath plus alcohol is a CNS depressant that depresses your breathing as well. And then on top of that Just his head like was opioids. in this like <laughs> Yeah, and on top of that, his head was in like this little cubby area where there's not a lot of air circulation. It's very possible that he passed out and then, you know, was already breathing shallow. And then there was a buildup of CO2 in that little cubby area that continued to 
slow his breathing or you know have an effect on his body i mean it just he did essentially just stop breathing i mean that's Mm -hmm. what happens when you die from an alcohol overdose or Mm -hmm. an alcohol accidental alcohol poisoning as you stop breathing um Mm -hmm. because that's what happens um and you take all those factors in consideration with it um because i remember having the conversation with the medical examiner's office too is like okay so he had this blood alcohol level but what did he what technically caused him to die and they were just like he stopped breathing because that's what happens when you have that kind of alcohol in your body um and then when you again as we've worked in the medical profession and had more experience with that when you start to put those other factors in place with it it all, all of those things contributed had he passed out or fallen asleep in his bed i you know i don't know that he would have passed away so yeah i mean he might he might have he might not have just stopped breathing altogether you know because like that's the thing is is oftentimes when your breathing starts like in the in the emergency room right when you're breathing ineffectively your body tries to compensate right and it can compensate for a certain period of time before then it just kind of gives up and you know oftentimes you'll see like if somebody's not if somebody's breathing six breaths a minute, that's not adequate for to keep that going. But they can sustain that for a little bit of time before their body gives up. Right. Um, but that that would be a, a point where you would do rescue breathing or whatever. Um, so, you know, in this case, it's possible that if he made it to bed, he would have maintained just enough to where he may not have died or maybe he would have still. I mean, there's yeah, all these questions don't that we know. don't know, right? Um, you know, but the fact that he was already at a predisposition to breathe really shallowly, his head was in a box where there's not good airflow, and he had the alcohol. Like it was, you know, it, it's hard it to tell been whether surprising if he'd woke up with that from that. It would have been yeah, surprising. yeah, and you know, and and it's hard to tell whether or not the other things contributed or not, like was his broken ribs a a contributing factor to his breathing you know being inadequate like if he didn't have broken ribs and he passed out in bed with the same alcohol level would he have died you know we don't know it's possible he wouldn't have um you know there's there's a lot of those types of questions you know that we still that we'll never know the answer to really um yeah you know ironically when i oh go ahead no continue go ahead oh i was just gonna say so like yeah when i read that stuff because again i poured over to the entire autopsy report i looked at all of the the medical stuff and why i got angry about that particular part of it and then the way that they ruled the cause of death is because i clearly could read what the autopsy said like they don't just give you like the summary of injuries and all that, but like you, it's a several page report. So they go through every body system and they tell you everything about that, that organ and that body system, you know, they have all the lab work in there. I knew how to interpret all of that stuff. And so I'm looking at this autopsy and I'm saying the summary and their determination as the cause of his death, which is forever on his death certificate, because you cannot change that after someone dies there's no process to like challenge the medical examiner and get his Mm -hmm. cause of death changed um 
so already it's not even just the fact that that is on his death certificate, um, which obviously we know death um, certificates are public records. Um, So again, there's that protectiveness that comes in. That's like, you know, I know this isn't what happened and forever now anyone that hears of him or knows of him and happened to, you know, if they really cared and wanted to, you know, that's what they're going to see. And that paints a picture because again, we live in a world where there's a stigma around this. And so there was that protective feeling. Um, and then I was angry because I very clearly could see based on that summary and that ruling and the cause of death that this medical examiner had had a bias around alcoholism, which is exactly the thing that we were already struggling with because of everything that had happened and because of, you know, the society that we live in. And so here I have a a medical examiner who is supposed to be um, impartial, not biased, who is supposed to look at the outcome of the autopsy, take everything into consideration, but really, you know, take the objective facts of the autopsy and make a ruling um, on what the cause of death was from their perspective. And there is nothing in his autopsy that supports chronic alcohol abuse. Or that it was a natural cause of death. Right. And that as well. And and the the reason, I was going to say, the reason why, the reason why this distinction is so important, you know, in, in our case specifically, is because we had, because you had life insurance that was accidental, right? Um, in order for you to get that payout, which we needed because we no longer had our main source of income as a family, um, the death had to be ruled as an accident. And because it was ruled as a natural cause of death, which it wasn't, it was an accident. It wasn't a purposeful, you know, it wasn't on purpose and it wasn't like it wasn't like he died of natural causes either. He was. he didn't have again, he he wasn't he didn't have chronic alcohol abuse for like a, like a, a normal overdose, time. an opiate overdose is is ruled as an accidental death. Yeah, yeah. And so um, this should have been ruled the same way. And because it wasn't, it caused a lot of problems in terms of insurance and financially for you. Because like, again, we were now without our main source of income and we weren't getting any life insurance because we had to challenge it because, you know, so it it was a big stress on you specifically as kind of the. Yeah. And I mean, there's two things that you're dealing with. It's this just anger and the fact that it wasn't done correctly, (laughs) you know, that, you know, that this ruling is not correct and there is literally nothing you can do about it. And we had, a little bit of life insurance that was just straight up life insurance where the cause of death didn't matter, which I'll be thankful for forever. Um, But also being young and not really knowing anything, he had several accidental death and disability policies through his work because he traveled for work. So again, just thinking like, Oh, that makes sense because I mean the likelihood of him dying in like a car accident or doing something like that, um, was higher just because he did drive a lot and he traveled a lot for his job. Um, so you just don't really think about the insurance part of it. And 
unfortunately, again, that if it was true, it would have been whatever. We would have had to figure it out. But you know me, I'm just like a right fighter. Like I can't handle it when things are not right. Um, and not only was the this level of I don't want him to be remembered this way because that's not who he was. But it just was plain wrong. Like the whole ruling, the whole death certificate was incorrect. And then on top of that, it affected the fact that because of this incorrect assessment and determination on the cause of death, now I don't have access to funds that I should have had access to because he did die from an accidental death. And um, when you go through something that traumatic and you have that big of a loss, the last thing you want to do is uproot your whole life and have to deal with like moving. And so like as a mother, I'm concerned about that stuff as well. Like I don't want Isaac to have to move out of his house or like I didn't want to move out of the house. Like this was the house that we lived in with your dad. There's all this stuff. I'm not working because I'm grieving and I'm dealing with all of that. Um, you know, so um, there's all these feelings that come with it. My main feeling was I it it really just irritated me because it was not correct. And then as a result of it not being correct, it then impacted our ability to get the things that we were rightly owed, I guess, in is the way I look at it. And um and it was all because th- it was so clear when you read it and you look at everything that this person had a bias around alcoholism. He made an assumption based on his own internal bias. There was nothing in the autopsy that supported that conclusion at all. So you know that it was a subjective um, opinion. Right. Well, and and the biggest thing is that cause of death impacted impacted us from getting things that we needed to, mm-hmm. you know, essentially not uproot our entire lives. Like, like we had our house, we had, you know, a place to live and all these things. But without that money, we would have been forced to, to move in the middle of all of this to something that was cheaper and then we would like there's and then when you're already grieving right and then you potentially have to uproot your entire life on top of that like that's a scary thought and that those life insurance things were put in place because it for a reason if this were to happen if you were to die and then you know on his on a work trip or whatever it would prevent us from having to immediately uproot our entire lives you know, and the fact that the fact that this was ruled as a natural death and because of the chronic part of it, which wasn't really accurate um, in this case. Right. Like he didn't ha- he didn't he may have had some chronic alcohol abuse for the last again, you know, six, eight well, year before he died, whatever. But it wouldn't have had an impact on his health enough to actually cause his death. The cause of death was an acute alcohol abuse. Mm-hmm. An accidental. 
but that impacted almost. i mean that that ruling impacted our life for months almost a full year to come after that mm-hmm. in in terms mm-hmm. of how we had to proceed and then so then you ended up fighting it um by getting a second opinion right so that we because the insurances were oh. initially all declined right like all the accidents. Yeah, with the, with the exception with the exception of the of the regular life insurance policy. But yes, uh automatically that ruling on the death certificate made me made it in us ineligible for collecting on his other life insurance policies. Right. Um so uh I think that's kind of what we can talk about in the next episode is just more in depth about um, the second opinion and how and I'll read that, well, that whole too. process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll talk about that process and then I'll read out the the second opinion as well because it puts into context a little more um uh accurately as to what happened and also why the first interpretation was not accurate. So Correct. I think we can get right into that. Hey, you know how this works. If you like this episode or just like us in general, you can find us at It's Going Podcast on all the things. Don't forget to check out the links in the description. And thanks for hanging out with us.